So that's what I'm saying. The text is like an object. It's gonna change perspective based on where you're standing. I don't know. Hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I missed you, baby sweet. It was a day, hmm? It was a day. Please tell me you're seeing this too. From Seattle, we are drinking the movies. I'm Taylor Baker. And I'm Michael Clausen. Bam. There it is. Mm. You picked out our beer today. What are we drinking? We are drinking a German lager that is extremely complex to pronounce and that I do not remember. I think it's from Munchen. Mm. That is all I can recall. It's written on the growler, but then I'd have to get out. Did it just catch your eye? I asked for six different tasters, and this mm. was the lowest alcohol content that tasted the best, considering we've got to do two episodes today, and we're going to be sitting here for a while drinking a little bit more beer than usual. We need something that can last us a while. Exactly. Especially since we have some of our harder titles a blast. So. Mm-hmm. But today, we're going to do The Farewell, Jackie Brown, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Quite the lineup. But first, as always, are the first impressions. We are doing first impressions of The Irishman as well as Little Monsters. Which one would you like to do first? Let's go with The Irishman and get to those monsters. All right, let's do it. Hiya, Frank. This is Jimmy Hoffa. Glad to meet you. Glad to meet you, too, even if it's over the phone. Our friend speaks very highly of you. Thank you. Only three people in the world have one of these. And only one of them is Irish. All right. We just watched the trailer for Martin Scorsese's The Irish Man. I think you missed the marketing campaign there. It's Academy Award winning Martin Scorsese, Academy Award winning Al Pacino, Academy Award winning Joe Pesci, and Academy Award winning Robert De Niro. Just in case you forgot, these guys are kind of good. Mm-hmm. Not bad. N- not bad, no. I think this was very high on your list of most anticipated of the year. Mm-hmm. Does this change anything? Yes. Mm. It doesn't change that, but it changes my complexion of the film. I don't think I can say that this trailer reveals that the film will be good. I can say mm. that this film will be a prestige picture. Mm. Um, and it's probably going to be closer to The Great Gatsby, based on my feeling, mm. from Baz Luhrmann, where, love it or hate it, you cannot deny the fact that it is a goddamn spectacle and mm. impressive at that. Um, framing, staging, whatever. And it really feels kind of like the other side of the wind, where Netflix, whether or not they're making good content, they're making content that people are going to watch. And like the other side of the wind, we're finally getting this picture from this acclaimed director that we've been wanting, that he's that this person's been wanting to release forever. And now we get it because mm. of this system called Netflix. Whether it's good or bad, I don't know. But suck on it, Spielberg, because we got a Scorsese picture and it looks fucking cool. Yeah, <laughs> it looks great. Um, I would say I am about as excited as I was before. I don't know that it really reveals anything new, you know, as from a Scorsese gangster picture. It looks like a Scorsese gangster picture. Um, I, uh, yeah, I mean, who knows what the theatrical release will look like, but I sure hope to, you know, see it on as big of a screen as possible. Well, it'll probably um, get the crest for sure. I would think so. Some people think they might go wider this time. Um, uh, since, you know. Oh, if I could use uh, my A-list card and go yeah. see it in Dolby, that'd be fucking cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think it is promising. Joe Pesci, first time in a while. I Any know. Thoughts? No kidding. Uh, I cannot even remember the last uh, time I saw him in something last like, time relatively I new. Casino? It was the last yeah. time I saw him. Yeah, always good. Uh, last time I saw him was probably when I rewatched Home Alone. Ah, also a great role. Classic. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Hell of a cast. These guys know what they're doing. Lieutenant Sir, why are we here? It's zombies again. Fast ones or slow ones, sir? Slow. Thank God they're slow. We can't stay here indefinitely. I'm not going anywhere. You're bigger idiots than I thought, and I thought you were both the stupidest people I've ever met. 
what's that? Oh, I got caught in the middle of a jam fight. Don't taste it, okay? Little Monsters, starring Lupita Nyong'o and Josh Gad. What do you think, Michael? I think this looks like a very good time. Um, Horror and comedy is not really one of my, like, favorite kind of, like, genre crossovers. But I do like, it's kind of like Ma in the sense that I like, uh, you know, the opportunity for an A-list actress to just do something different and fun and, um, you know, open up a little bit in a genre role. Um, uh, I don't know that it'll be um, uh, uproarious for me, but I think it looks funny. What about you? It looks, it looks quirky. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I'm going to mesh with the tone. Mm. I, I'm glad the project's made. I really love Josh Gad. He's hilarious. I think that The Comedians, a show he did with uh, Billy Crystal. He did a show with Billy Crystal about The Comedians. Mm. Genius thing. It got canceled immediately from FX because they're assholes. Um, but I love him and I always want to see him in a project. Pete and Yango, great. The tone of this movie, eh, it's like in the foreground, something sweet. In the background, something terrible. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get bored. I'm going to get exhausted. It looks a lot in tone like The Art of Self-Defense, another film mm-hmm. that's kind of got a mixed tone that I didn't care for. Um, <clears throat> glad it got made. I'll yeah. potentially see it depending on when it releases. But Yeah, yeah. Um, I kind of feel like it should come out like right now uh some like kind of programming for the summer right um Mm. if it yeah came out in the fall i don't know i don't think i even caught when the release date was but it seems like now is the time not like october although i guess you could catch it in halloween i don't know i didn't see a release date before before it seems like the window Mm. you want to get it into which is maybe around the corner there's competition to um where'd you go bernadette yeah i could see it doing well in that window yeah yeah um but yeah, I mean, still like an actress I like. It's a origi- it's an original screenplay. I think it maybe it's an adapted uh, screenplay or something like that. You know, but still a standalone. It feels um, like a unique original project. yeah screenplay. Yeah, I mean, I'm still something we're um, excited name. to see something like this. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's uh, the first impressions. Let's get into the meat of it. Let's uh, say hello to the listeners by talking about a goodbye. All right. First up, we are talking about The Farewell. What's wrong, Dad? Please tell me. My nan is dying. She doesn't know, so you can't say anything. The family thinks it's better not to tell her. Why is that better? Chinese people have saying, when people get cancer, they die. By director Lulu Wong, made a big splash at Sundance this year. Um, I think it won won a prize there. Um, probably one of the best reviewed movies of the year in terms of uh, at least before Metacritic score wise. I, I don't yeah. know how it's doing now, but before release, it yeah, I mean, I think well. yeah, it was in the nineties. Yeah, um, back when only critics had seen it. Now yeah. that it's getting wider audience, I, it it is falling. Yeah. I I had quite the experience in my own theater. Um, you know, someone. Uh, the, the where I saw it, it's um, stadium seating, reserved seating. Mm. Someone decided to sit right next to me, even mm. though that wasn't where they had bought a seat. Oh, um, they just wanted. Your and company. I was the first person to buy my seat, so I, I know that they knew I was there. And then they were mutter. It was a couple that was very old, muttering back and forth to each other about um, some some they had some racist comments Ooh. and about one third of the way through they uh said quite loudly that they couldn't stand this bullshit and they got up and left wow uh, that is a unique experience at the and movies so i through all that i was loving it and laughing and enjoying myself but it, it definitely made me realize that there's there's a conversation <laughs> wow to be had by the broader populace that that I didn't think we needed to have here in Linwood. <laughs> That's very interesting. That is not the kind of experience I've heard of yet. Yes. Um, most of the reactions I've heard have been quite positive. Um, I like this movie a lot. I do too. Um, maybe not a wholehearted love for it, but I, I'm still quite positive on it. What about you? 
I completely agree. Where where my problems come are in the choices at the end. I think there's a lot mm. better cut um, to be made. I think it's about seven to ten minutes earlier than they actually decide to close it. Um, they would have just it would have ended with us feeling a lot. They could have cut straight to that credit sequence that shows us that she's mm. still alive all these years later and later in real life, and it would have been great. Um, but instead, they tried to capitalize on that metaphor of the spirit, I suppose, mm. um, w- where the the bird represented in the beginning is how they they choose to end it with one time we see the bird in the middle. Yeah. And yeah. I, I don't think that worked for me. It, maybe I'm not culturally part of it enough for it to work for me. Uh, maybe I don't know exactly what she's playing into. I think I do know what she's playing into and that she didn't get the repetition right and that the edit's just poor. Yeah. At the end. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Could have done without the last couple shots. I even could have done without the um, uh, real-life footage um, of the grandma. Um, I feel like she I already did the work. It, but I don't think the film could. Really? I think, like, I, I think she I pulled think it off. I could have um, made the movie without it. Uh, how so? Say more. Well, it's her story. Mm-hmm. Like, it's her, like, it's such a deeply personal story that um, I don't think that she makes that movie without seeing that as the end. Like, showing showing the audience after the film is over that everything is happy in reality. I think that that's maybe how she conceived of the piece. Yeah. Um, at some level. Yeah. Yeah, for me, I just felt like it was strong enough to stand on its own um it you know too often that feels like you know we look how we we kind of got it right um not that it's that long of a take even um but uh you know i think even though it's autobiographical it's still a work of art and i just kind of like letting that just um stand on its own but you know i think i think not only is there a better cut if you make that cut then it's more of its own individual piece yeah yeah but at some level, you got to let the auteur, you know, dangle their emotions. Tarantino's yeah, but it's already so emotional. Wang's got her grandma. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> or is it Wong or Wang? I've heard Wong. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I read it as Lulu Wang, but maybe I read it as That I, I would have assumed so, too. I just happened to hear that. Okay. Um, so plot-wise, just to lay the groundwork, perhaps. Um, Aquafina is our lead actress. Um a semi or largely autobiographical tale mm-hmm. um Based about on actual life that's right um aquafina is kind of lulu wong's um surrogate mm-hmm. and it's about her grandmother's cancer diagnosis which her family decides to keep from her the lie in an effort to uh shoulder that like emotional burden for mm-hmm. her um as a part of Chinese custom. Um, and they, Which is a broader custom that almost all families apparently participate in in China. Right. So the family goes to China pushing up the wedding of one of Aquafina's character's uh, cousins mm-hmm. in an effort to spend Her time with cousin, the grandma. Right? I think it's the only cousin, yeah. And that's Just, why she can't believe she's not going. Right, <laughs> right. Um, to spend time with grandma... While they still can. Um, Story-wise... if you will. Nine-Eye. Exactly right. Um, I really liked Nine-Eye. I did too. As an actress. Um, I think, overall, I think it's a very solid cast. I think it is an ensemble piece. Um, uh, did you care for most of these actors and actresses? Yes. I do not... I should have looked it up. I do not know the name of Aquafina's father. But he's so good. He's so good. He's funny. Yeah. He's heartbreaking. He's in the right ways. Like he plays melodrama in a sincere way. I think I've seen him before, like a lot. I just don't know. And like I almost think that he's the dad who gets killed in Rush Hour. Oh man, that is a throwback. Um, I would have to go back and watch Rush Hour, which and, I would happily do. And then, well, yeah, right? Let's do that for the show. Can we watch Rush Hour for the show? The whole, the whole <laughs> franchise, the whole trilogy, yeah, dude. And then we'll get into we'll we'll have to watch some Jackie Chan adventures cartoons as well. Just love it, just cause. 
but I'm pretty sure, yeah, he. W- I think he was the dad of the girl that uh, Jackie had to save in Rush Hour 1 or 2. Um, yeah. But he's he's really, really good. I really like the way that she opens the piece, mm. framed on that beautiful painting. It's great looking shot. And the way that she brings that back around um, at the end when the family's sitting in front of it waiting. Mm-hmm. And the way that she builds that up um, by zooming out from that frame and showing us the grandma sitting in front of it while she's talking to Aquafina on the phone. Yeah. Um, I think that was a really smart pacing and um, emotional buildup. And when I saw that and then I saw how she handled the bird, I I feel like it, the bird just got away from her. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. Um, uh, that didn't do as much for me as just kind of the overall style of the thing. Like, I think she does just have an eye for, you know, how to fit this large group of people into the frame. Um, uh, just like that opening shot of the painting. I think this overall is just a really good looking movie. Um, I also Super love dialogue driven. Very dialogue driven, but I also think there's just like, um, it's just easy on the eyes. I love that shot, you know, of um, them. I think they're trying to find their way to maybe it's the wedding venue and they're kind of getting caught in the rain. Um, and they all, you know, they're kind of split like on that staircase. Half of them are, it's an outdoor shot and like half of them are, are at the top of the staircase. Half of them are at the bottom. They're all like uh, trying to uh, work with their umbrellas. Um, uh you know, she she just has an eye for um for nice co- compositions that I think um uh is really consistent and just adds up to a, a really good looking um picture. Or doing the um the wedding photography and the this beautiful wedding photography exquisitely staged. Oh yeah. In the background, while in the foreground, Aquafina and Nina are having a conversation. Oh yeah, yeah. Or or is it Nina? Yeah, it's Nina and Aquafina, right? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, and just like it's it's different than a lot of it, it's not just different because it's Asian American cinema. It's different mm-hmm. because it's driven by dialogue and human emotions and actually having a conversation in yeah. a way that a lot of movies aren't now. Like the only like we're going to talk about Tarantino, but Tarantino's one of the only other people that just like has movies driven by dialogue mm-hmm. that are focused on depicting things beautifully, I think. Yeah. There's yeah. like a, there's a lot of films that are just like their goal is to tell a story or their goal is to do something where is the farewell felt like the goal was to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she wanted to tell a story and, and make a point, but it was more about the conversations along the way that took us there um, than anything else. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I did like most of the dialogue. To me, one of the problems is that um, like it was maybe just a little repetitious. Like I kind of get the idea that Aquafina's character is trying to just come to, to come to grips with whether or not this is the right thing to do, and she kind of keeps having this conversation with people. Like, don't you think we should tell them? Um, it kind of I kind of thought there was just diminishing returns to it. Like I don't know um, that I really was was satisfied with sort of like the. Um, gradual understanding that I think is kind of meant to be implied. Um, you know, so maybe like what I most responded to is just kind of the tone, the dialogue, the look, whereas I feel like character wise, it's maybe a little underwritten for me. Um, Interesting. I, I don't know that. I can't remember the word you just said. I just lost it. But, but you said something mm-hmm. about like her, like coming to an understanding, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think, this is about her kind of wrestling with whether or not that is the right thing to do. And I don't think she ever does come to terms with whether or not it's the right thing or the wrong thing. I think that the, mm. the phrase I'd use is comes to terms with it. Mm. Like accepts that this is what it is and that it's something she doesn't understand but doesn't have the philosophical argument to prove that it's incorrect necessarily. Yeah. Especially if Nainai did it herself. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just, I I just felt like there, um, is a benefit to having, um, this many characters. And I think she does really, um, give each kind of character their due. But, um, I would say there's not quite as much kind of depth to some of the character, um, dynamics as I would have found in something like, say, Shoplifters, whereas, um, 
that I just sort of like, I just really feel like the specific kind of emotional chemistry there. And and there is, um, there is no doubt emotion to the farewell, but it is sort of a, a very generally relatable kind, mm-hmm. which I think is why it's a very successful movie. Um, I don't know that I could characterize, um, certain relationships in like a in a really specific kind of way that's really going to stick with me in the long run i think that's maybe why it's already like faded from me a little bit Mm. but um you know that's just part of what i think's holding me back but i I think there's sharper tools than others as far like if if characters in a screenplay are are tools then she does have certain tools that are sharper and, and perform more than other tools but i think I think she wields everything pretty well. And the the way that she uses um, Billy Ha's mother, Aquafina's mm. mother, to mm-hmm. illustrate this conversation between why they left China, the value they find in America, mm-hmm. those types of things. Um, I, I just found it to be an intoxicating dialogue. Um, that might be personal bias because I'm, I'm very fascinated by the the waking giant that is China. Mm. And how to grapple with it as a global culture, how China's grappling with it, how America and the European Western nations will grapple with it and how it will affect everything. But like some of that cinematography going through and say, um, you know, just passive things like we already passed it. It doesn't matter. It looks totally different now. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That lines like that, uh, they, they work in context and they work out of context mm-hmm. you know that works for another thing like we've already passed that time you're talking about as a nation what you're talking about remembering isn't what we are anymore like it just mm-hmm. works at, at so many levels um this dialogue that i i found a ton of metaphorical use in it. yeah 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 and I, I mean i think i responded to most of the same things like i just maybe i wish i had a like uh uh, I, I wish there was more to what Billy sort of makes of all of that. Um, to me, that was maybe a little thin, even though I completely agree that's all there. Um, that's the thing. I don't. I don't. I don't think that that the director, writer, or Aquafina, who represent the director, writer, ever comes down on one side or the other. And I think that that's what it what it might be to be someone who doesn't resent your home, who loves where you came from but also loves where you are now. You don't necessarily know, you don't have these final decisions. There is no final critique. There's just what is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I certainly imagine one might feel that way. I don't know that the like the movie really articulated that for me, that when Aquafina is coming back, she has, you know, um, really evolved in any kind of... Um, way as a result of this um i don't know i won't belabor the point because overall it's a good movie uh and i think uh she really pulls off just kind of the dual tone of the thing between it being uh uh, both comedic but also very melancholy um to me like that is what makes it very promising um that kind of thing i think is um, something that's like harder to um, hone over time. I kind of think she can maybe fine tune some of the uh, the screenplay stuff, but that's something that like really excites me is somebody who can um, pull that kind of thing off. Yeah. Aquafina, good. Lulu Wong, great. There we go. What do a stewardess, a gunrunner, a bail bondsman, an ex-con, a federal agent, and a beach bunny have in common? You gonna come in on this thing with me? You got to be prepared to go all the way. Jackie Brown by one Quentin Tarantino. A little homework before the latest Tarantino movie, uh, one that we both had not seen. Correct. Which I think you've now seen. All of his filmography? Is that right? Uh, no, I'm still halfway through the Hateful Eight Netflix four-hour cut. Got it. So I haven't seen that director's cut version yet. There you I go. I bet you there's another director's cut that I haven't seen that I just don't know about. Probably. Somewhere along the line. That seems oh, yeah, likely. No, there's a, there's a, 
a mashup. I don't know if he certified it, but there's supposedly a mashup of Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2 unrated director's cuts where it's like a super oh, cut yeah. all the way through. Oh, yeah. It's like the whole bloody affair. Is yeah, that what it's yeah, 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 yeah. And I yeah, haven't seen the yeah. whole bloody affair. Yeah, yeah. So he has some stance, right? versions that I haven't and seen. I can't remember if he has a stance on whether it's one movie or two movies. I think he says it's one movie, which I've definitely seen it in two parts, so... Well, yeah. if he says it's one movie, that means we get one more, right? I guess so. <laughs> and then he <laughs> contradicts himself on the title screen where it says the ninth film of Quentin Tarantino and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But besides that... You don't think the count is working? Huh? You think that you think this should be his tenth film? If you're counting Kill Bill's Tilt as two movies? Well, no. If it's one movie, then we'd be at eight, right? Or am I miscounting? We got Death Proof, which everyone forgets. Then we got mm. The Whole Bloody Affair. Then we yeah. got Reservoir, Pulp, Jackie yep. Brown, Inglorious Bastards, um, Hateful Eight. Eight, and Django. Yeah. There's eight. Yeah, I guess oh, they... Oh, Once Upon a Time would be number nine, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. Shit. You're right. He does view it as right. one. We just wanted to we just wanted to audit that real quick. Yeah, yeah, just some on screen mm. auditing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that was accurate. But Jackie Brown first. Uh, I liked Jackie Brown a lot. What about you? I yes, yeah. It's a four and a half for me. It's nice. right at the ninety five where I could go five stars, but it's more a four and a half. Um, and I could see it being five on the rewatch. Yeah, yeah, I could see it. Um. That first, the first scene where she's on the uh, horizontal, uh, God, what is it? It's not a treadmill. What would you call that? Uh, yeah, it's like the flat uh, escalator kind of thing. Yeah, the, what do you call that? An airport, airport when it's just, yeah. Uh, Such a fucking cool shot, man. I was just like enraptured by it. Yeah. I was like, okay, I'm going to start the movie, go get some stuff. And I was just like, oh, can't go get water or food must stay <laughs> yeah there is something about a character being able to just stand there moving from right to left across the screen and still have some kind of magnetic screen presence you're like okay she, she's got something that mm-hmm. is gonna make this work uh yeah um did you think about spike lee at all i did oh um that's interesting not in the moment um but that doesn't feel off base to me at all um in any particular respects? Yeah, and the and in what the I imagine shot. as the Quentin Tarantino amount of respect to Spike Lee of like being informed of that dolly shot that he made. In famous. that opening shot. Gotcha, yeah, gotcha. and like mm-hmm. like stealing taking the best tools from the best people he's around and making his own version of these types of films. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean, for me, it wouldn't be half the, the the movie it is if it you know weren't for the cast. Like that is sort of the so the meat of it. Um, when I finished, I just wanted to watch like all of her movies. <laughs> she's really good. Um, would this be towards the top of your Tarantino list, roughly speaking, I if you were to make one, or not so much? I don't even know. No, all Tarantino's movies are at the top of the Tarantino list. Like I don't even know how you fucking rank those things. Like, I have no idea. Because Hateful Eight, I think, is one of the best screenplays ever mm. put down. Um, it, and certainly one of the top five this side of the, the century. Um, but I I don't know how to rank Tarantino. Like, yeah. like, I'm much more comfortable ranking Soderbergh, who clearly has projects mm. that are bigger hits and projects that are bigger misses. Whereas mm. Tarantino, I, I don't think he ever misses his agenda or his goal. And I think that what I think about it right now, it doesn't matter because I felt differently before and I'll feel differently when I watch it later. They're I just like all great. Like it's it's a weird thing. Like he he kind of is a consistent thing. Where it's like, what's my favorite one? Probably Death Proof because it's fun. Mm-hmm. But that's not the best one. And it's like, well, what matters more best favorite one you love the most which one do you want to fall asleep to which one yeah. do you want to drink coffee with which one has the best lines you quote which one Depends has on the day. Roth the best like yeah it, it's so loaded how about you uh yeah i don't know that i have any real sp- specific order i think um i just kind of have like general categories where i think like pulp 
Jackie Brown, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood are probably towards the top, no definitive ranking. Um, Django's probably towards the bottom, but if I were to rewatch it, I probably would change my mind. Um, and Glorious Bastards probably a little towards the bottom. Um, if you rewatched it, it might change. Right. With the right audience, like drinking a beer with your friends, everybody's laughing at the same yeah. jokes. Yeah. The bear Jews coming out to smash some notch Nazis. Like, it's just yeah. a good time. Yeah, just uh, different movies for different occasions. Um, but yeah, in Jackie Brown, um, especially like all the time we spend with Ordell, Samuel L. Jackson's character, I did kind of realize that he's one of the, one of the few directors um, who can make me just have such a good time spending with characters I spending time with characters I don't necessarily like in that many ways. I mean, Ordell is, uh, you know, just, you Someone know, he's, you he's, he's, like. he's cocky. Um, he, he doesn't have great intentions, um, but just the texture to all the conversation, how it's shot, um, you just kind of feel like a fly on the wall in these mm-hmm. scenes. Um, and it's just kind of about the, the, the authenticity of it even though it feels so kind of like specific and idiosyncratic at the same time. Um, it's just satisfying to watch these people do whatever it is they're doing. Um, even if it is just watching Samuel Jackson's trailer um, for his guns and then reading the credits at the end of the film, which credits them as girls with guns. Yeah. Yeah. The credits made me laugh like as much as like, it's just a special. It's special. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I can't remember at the beginning how long it's been since De Niro has gotten out of prison, but I think it's, like, that day or really recently, right? I'm just trying to yeah, imagine, like, like... that week or Wednesday or something, yeah. I think we hear him say. And of all the things, Ordell's like, come home, we, I got a movie I gotta show you. And it's Girls with Guns, you know? Like, it's 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 just kind of absurd, but the absurdity is hilarious. Um, even though y- y- you kind of hate the exercise in a way. Um um the movies he puts in movies are great movies they are they are um robert forster great big big fan um special yeah yeah changed the way i saw him fundamentally him and pam greer just they're they're these people now yeah i see yeah yeah um yeah i did not go into it with any expectation for sort of a romantic possibility between them. And it was really only more like right at the uh, like final few minutes of the movie that I was like, I kind of want to like rewatch this and just focus on um, the chemistry between them. Like I just, I just would never, I was not in any way expecting that to be of interest to Tarantino is this really sort of like slow burning, ambiguous kind of affection between them. Um, uh, it was there from the start, man. I know. I mean, it's not like it's um, subtle exactly, right? Like Robert Forrester like, is gazing at her as she's coming out of prison. Like, oh, yeah, he, he, he has a thing for her. But it's also just weird, right? Like, it's clearly um, not the kind of meet cute we're expect- or that we're used to. Well, yeah, um, and I mean, socially it's not, right? Like, they're both older. They're both low income. They both have hard jobs. They both have hard backgrounds, you know, one's a yeah. cop, one is one drops her off, has his gun stolen by her, and goes and sits on a couch in an apartment that smells a cat piss for a few hours, waiting for someone that he gave a bail to to come home so he can take him in. Like, yeah, these aren't soft people. <laughs> yeah, they are not. Um, yeah, um. What else? The ending actually felt a little Soderberghian to me mm-hmm. in, right, all the changing of perspective yes. in a very good way. Very he pulled Ocean's it off. Eleven influence, yeah. perhaps. Yeah, Do you absolutely. know the release date of this movie? 97? 97, so it was pre-Oceans, right? I think that's right. Yeah, yeah that would have been early 2000s, right? Yeah, so he yeah. he did it himself. He did. Yeah. Quite well. Um, what did you think? Did you think De Niro was going to kill that surfer girl? I thought that he was going to go off way before that if you're Tarantino because I mean that's you you either get Jack Nicholson or De Niro at this point and you want mm-hmm. them to go crazy because they can mm-hmm. go crazy better than anyone else can go crazy. 
Yeah. And I I thought that he would have done more and gone crazier. Yeah. And I thought yeah. that he was going to, I thought it was going to go a different way and that he was going to try to get Jackie Brown and like get into a fight with Samuel about it and stuff. Yeah. Just because of who Robert is outside of the film. Yeah. Yeah. And what is it or- Ordell says to him after he, after De Niro tells him he killed her, he's like, yeah, I killed her. And he's like, she's dead. He's like, kind of, <laughs> kind of. Yeah, she's dead. I shot her twice. <laughs> uh, yeah, Samuel L. Jackson. Michael Keaton is the awesome. officer. Yep. Interesting role. I, I definitely, I saw Michael Keaton, but he did a, he did a good job of trying to be the character. Yeah, yeah. But um, at that point in time, it was just so hard for him to not be Michael Keaton. He does. He just kind of has one of those faces that is um, hard to camouflage mm-hmm. into whatever character it is. Um, but he's good. I liked him here. Um, what else? Great score, right? You can always kind of trust Tarantino to use the pop music, right? Mm-hmm. Um cultural curator i mm-hmm. think i heard him called for once upon a time in hollywood i like that and i was like yes that's that's definitely what he's he's that because he's such a reliable director mm. then now he's like curating the culture for us because mm. we just trust him implicitly yeah 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 I, I like the touch where the morning after um jackie takes Robert Forster character's gun and has that run in with Ordell at her house. Um, Robert Forster's character comes back over because he realizes she's taken this gun and she puts on, I think it's the Delphonics on, mm-hmm. on record. And then I think that's what he goes and buys later from yeah, the store. Yeah, he buys the CD, the Delphonics, uh, and then Samuel yeah. gets in the car and he's like, I didn't know you liked the Delphonics. And yeah. What does he say? They're pretty good? They're pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, the idea of just, just wanting to to understand her wanting to get to know her um very nice touch in like in a sincere way very sincere yeah yeah um yeah i think tarantino can be very ironic sometimes but i think there there is a lot of conviction to this that he leaves her oh yeah yeah. it's halfway between (laughs) adorably sweet and like creepy stalker but that's where he's at as a bail bondsman yeah that likes her so i don't know it's yeah he has a good screenplay touch he does he really does um you have any favorite scenes any favorite moments oh man i would probably have to go with beaumont's murder everything from samuel jackson like meeting chris tucker outside his door and that just long take the two shot of them talking um the camera sitting in the street after he's driving in away. The crane shot up above to watch the murder from afar. That that whole sequence is great. Um, what about you? I love those. I love a lot of those two shots. There's one where um, where Robert Whitaker or Forrester. Oh, Forrester. Yeah, Forrester. yeah. He's yeah. driving away, and Samuel Jackson is driving towards or someone. Mm. I don't remember the double shot exactly, but it, it like built up a palpable sense of dread that puts you exactly in time in this world. And, and that like set up the, that Ocean's Eleven timing for this coming heist. Yeah. And just like yeah. a single shot, he was able to achieve that. Just really yeah. smart editing, great use of the dual frame. Yeah. 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 Um, the split screen when Robert Forrester is realizing Jackie took his Again. gun yeah great great stuff um yeah yeah those are the touches you come to tarantino for it's great stuff he's special he is a genius even. yeah um guess that's it move on to our next tarantino all right what's the matter partner it's official old buddy and it has been Here I am, flat on my ass. And who, who I got living next door to me? I'm Sharon Tate. I'm in the movie. You're in this? That's me. I play Miss Carlson, the klutz. In this town, I can all change like that. Hey! 
You're Rick fucking Dalton. Don't you forget it. We're talking about Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I've seen it once. You've seen it twice. Twice. Deuces. Ready to dive in. I am. I absolutely love this movie. What about you? I did not the first time I watched it. I really engaged with it, though. I took a lot home with me. I was overwhelmed by it. I could not keep up. I didn't know what to make of it. I didn't know what I saw. I didn't know what I heard. I could mm. barely keep up. I didn't know what alluded to what. I, I didn't know what references I should be looking for. But at the end, I knew two things for certain. Tarantino had seen Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. And Tarantino mm. made his own version of Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. That I find very interesting. I don't know that I would have gone the same direction. Um, Luckily for us, we've both seen it. We have. Discussed on a previous episode of the podcast. A camp episode. Absolutely. Um, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls I found to be very ironic for the sake of like parody. The mm. milieu is very much the same for sure. Um, and some of the contents overlapping, but, uh, this one I find so sincere and, and so, um, uh, wistful that I, I would have described that one in tone as much more, um, for the sake of parody. Uh, I, so I agree. I just think that the layering of parody is in different places. Mm. Like it's a parody of America while it also is about loving America. Oh, I would not. You think this is a parody? I I think no, no. I I don't think that it's just a parody, mm. but I do think that it it makes parody of a lot of American customs at that time, mm. most notably smoking. Interesting. Okay. I mean, right? Like, at, did you stay for the end credits where Rick Dalton's doing the commercial for the Red Apple cigarettes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, and just like it opens with the cigarette butts. Um. They they directly name Valley of the Dolls mm-hmm. when Sharon Tate has that cinema scene. Like, yeah, it yeah. is there, man. Like the ending beyond Valley of the Dolls, absurd ending with the samurai sword and everything. The absurd ending yeah. with the flamethrower. But that's also like such a sort of like a queer new direction for Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, where this is like such a like a hetero bro kind of movie. I I don't the, I'm not saying that it's like maybe maybe that is a difference. Yeah. But I I still think that this is his own riff of, of mm. these of that riff that Ebert did on the Valley of the Dolls. Like I I I mm. really do definitely think it's there. The criticism of America, the smog, or at least of LA, and like the desire for mm. cinema and the smog, and the way that that the first half of the movie or the first five-sixths of the movie feels like a goddamn TV serial, where you're Mm. like, where the hell is this fucking thing going? Yeah. Where you go out to the movie ranch, the Spawn movie ranch, and literally, like, nothing happens. Yeah, yeah. Um, And when when I went back and watched it a second time, I saw where all the builds were. But the first time, you don't Mm. know where all the builds are. You don't know what's pointing towards what. Yeah. You don't know what's uh, directly being referenced. Like, I didn't even hear what what is the book that she gets. The first time I heard it, I didn't even hear it correctly. It's Tess of the Dunderville. Tess of the Durbervilles. Durbervilles. Yeah. 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 And I didn't yeah. hear it the first time, clearly. Yeah. I was like, Elvis Doomerville, the defensive end? <laughs> mm. Like, oh, I got it this time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, and, I mean, the surrealism of it um having steve mcqueen explain to the audience um that let me tell you a story this girl was engaged Mm. to this guy then she flew to europe to make a movie with this guy and then they Mm. got married and now they're here and now the three of them are inseparable like just the the way that that's explaining to the audience it's almost like the uh the cue laugh where where Mm. um in those sitcoms, we would hear other people laughing on the TV. Like, it, there's just, there's a layer of uh, parody to it that that is a sincere level of parody that's that's criticism and parody at the same time of American culture, but also American love. 
We have very different readings on this one. I don't yeah. know. Parody is not the word that would have come to mind. If the words are more like a wistfulness for the era, um, a melancholy for, for what was lost in both the people and, you know, the, the, word the artist. Uh, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but I, yeah, I mean, it, it to me, it's also hard to compare to compare partly just because of the difference in era that this is a reflection on the era versus that um a product of the era it was coming out of mm-hmm. um um and, and this is sort of uh you know a, like a crossover of genres like you know some people call are calling it a western a fairy tale a hangout movie um well it's definitely one of those and that's fairy tale Oh, that's that was the lens you. It's definitely a fairy tale because because of the way that it opens and ends, mm. um, and then in between, whatever claim you want to make works. Yeah, buddy, yeah. western, action, kung fu doesn't matter. You could put it there. Yeah, yeah. Um, Naval gazing, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I experienced it first and foremost as a hangout movie. Um, the most satisfaction I got from it being just the opportunity to spend time with these characters doing whatever it is they're they're doing. Um, and that's that's why I think that it is a little bit of a comment about TV. At that point TV. in time, and they they literally have dialogue about how TV. Um, uh, Al Pacino says that like. Now, now that you aren't a star, the goal is to have the current stars beat you up or kill you, so that the audience mm. sees Cliff Booth or not Cliff Booth, uh, Rick Dalton. Rick Dalton, yeah, dying right. Mm. Yeah, uh, different reading, just not the one I went with. Okay. Um, I mean, I I was. Um, uh, in- interpreting it maybe just more literally about, um, you know, Hollywood being a, a thing that goes through cycles and this being one about the, the end of a particular era um, and um, what that means for these uh, different kinds of people who are related to the industry in different ways. Um, for Rick, he wants to make the leap from TV to movies Um He's struggling to do it, and what he represents is not what the 70s are going to be welcoming when, you know, a new kind of director invades Hollywood. Um, It's about, you know, the uh, pursuit of a dream from him that he is working so damn hard to get um, that's just kind of um, out of reach, and what that also means kind of for uh, uh, him and his friendship with with Cliff, um, since Cliff is... Um, you know, sort of on the coattails of, of Rick's success to some degree. And, and he's someone who's problematic for Rick's career. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I think it's, uh, probably, uh, my favorite acting of the year so far. Um, I think Leonardo DiCaprio's easily like far and away my favorite, uh, male performance of the year. Not for you. Who would you put no. it? Who would who would be up there? Number one for me is still uh, Mads Mikkelsen. Mm. Um, Leo is fine. Um, I don't feel like he got enough screen time for me to feel comfortable with nominating him as a lead actor for me at this point. Wow. In the year. Okay. Uh, I do have Brad Pitt as mm. uh, one of my top supporting actors, but I mean he's still behind Tori Kittles behind. Um, geez, what's that guy's name? From um, Last Black Man in San Francisco, Jonathan Majors. Mm. I think I've got Majors at the top right now, um, just because of what he does in those roles. But I, I do have a projection that mm. uh, Brad Pitt will be my favorite lead performer by uh, October. <laughs> so for a different movie, <laughs> for Ad Astra, right? I, I right. predict that uh, a James Gray picture is going to always be one of my favorite pieces of a character, whoever gets the most screen time. Yeah, and I've got a suspicion Tommy Lee will creep up as well. Mm. But I actually, I think I like Tate the most. Um, 
Oh, that Margot Robbie has mm. Tate the most because of Tarantino's choice to let her just um, kind of be a vibration of of love and life rather than a focal point of narrative. Mm. Yeah, um, I I definitely didn't dislike the choice. I don't know that it would um, be towards the top of my list for any favorite performance, just because of of what oh, it all I, she I does i don't think um, it deserves like the best performance but like yeah out of the whole picture like i walk away just like really enjoying my time with her yeah like i like all the other performances but when i think about her i just feel warm yeah her performance yeah there. yeah i mean for me you know when people are talking about the difference in dialogue between leo brad and sharon the difference is that Rick and Cliff are fictional characters, and Sharon is not. That he can build a screenplay around. Yeah, yeah. He, he has all kinds of room to innovate with them, hmm. um, versus um, taking a chance to imagine what might have been going through her head and, and, and said by her and on the, this the terrible day. And the amount that he already does is received exorbitant criticism from the friends and family of Sharon Tate. You know, yeah. Article yeah. after article every day. This person's complaining about this portrayal she lived and they murdered him like what more do you want yeah i mean to see uma thurman and ethan hawk's kid not die and run away in the car (laughs) it's weird i can kind of just hold both ideas in my head that i i think i understand the choice not to and to just sort of like honor her spirit by sort of like leaving a bit of mystery to it because I don't know that I would want Quentin Tarantino to be the first person to take a guess at what Sharon Tate would have to say on the last exactly. day that she lived. Yeah. Um, but this this movie is about how, you know, Sharon Tate's death in a way was, you know, always part or one of these signifiers of the end of the 60s, the end of this era in Hollywood. And he's by just by just watching her, it doesn't kind of reduce her to a symbol like it just feels like you're with this person mm-hmm. um and she's not with she anybody takes, she doesn't she doesn't have anybody to talk to she takes um, over she envelops she might be a small yeah. frame but the the way that that Margot performs like doing the dancing and the the way that she smiles the way that she hugs it just it changes the whole frame it doesn't matter if she's in mm. a small portion of the frame the whole frame's composition changes just because of the certain way that she's performing yeah yeah um but i mean i i don't know i i would have a hard time really trying to talk someone out of saying i wish margot robbie had more dialogue i mean i think i just i i, I think i kind of understand the choice but also Look, understand like, the desire to have heard more it, it's just kind of an, an impossible it's just a really hard thing to reconcile i don't know i'd like to see those deleted scenes i don't think that it would have made the movie better yeah the the movie is in every way the story of saving the the prodigal princess you know mm. it's it's like it it saves a certain loss for us it would be like if tarant like if tarantino had done the same exact thing but instead made a movie with um samuel jackson and john travolta as badass assassins that are going to go kill the people that um killed princess mm. diana mm. and then you had diana played by someone who wasn't really talking but more like acting Mm. elegant and lovely and and being kind and doing kind things and then you see sam and john murder the people that would have killed her and now she's fine and happy and gets to live happily ever after as a princess it's like it's that it's just a different princess yeah yeah i think i absolutely see the fairy tale lens um uh i think it was ao scott who I liked the the touch. He noted uh, that, you know, if Margot Robbie is a princess, then she's not only that, but she also married the frog. The guy even kind of looks like a frog. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a nice touch. Um, but I definitely looked at it maybe more through the lens of it being a Western in the sense that, like, one of those themes of the Western was that uh, conflict between the civilized and the savage and the counterculture here very much being this, the savage from uh leo and brad's perspective um from which uh you know society needs to kind of be protected um but uh you know i i I like that there are different um lenses to look at it um i definitely think that 
the the reason that I see not just the Beyond the Valley of the Dolls comparison, but but that I see it in that way is there's a there's a certain build the whole time that feels like camp. I don't know that mm. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is camp. I just know that to me, someone who knows very little about camp and still does not understand it, <laughs> it felt a lot like my favorite version of it. Mm. Yeah, I mean... Like, the fact that it's a Western, in moments, like, in real moments, when Cliff is beating the shit out of the dude who has a broken front tooth, yeah, and then Tex is on his horse, racing to go get him, and and the the seamless switch of the guides for the horseback group where yeah, they pretend yeah. nothing's changing you're gonna follow me now like yeah, just the yeah. the irony of that um it was so palpable that it felt like camp it felt like absurdism it, it just felt like those things and when he's walking down and margaret qualley says that that line uh mm. what is it he uh, Bruce Stern's character is not blind. You are the blind one. And then everyone starts yeah. pointing and shouting. Like it was just so clearly like an absurdist break into camp to me. Yeah, maybe it's that like one of the things I associate with camp is that that sentiment or the feeling that it can be so bad it's good or it's so over the top it's good. I don't That's know that I would ever. It was so over the top that it became good. Like, as soon yeah. as Lena Dunham is the head of the girls or whatever, I was just like, okay, yeah. we're in, we're somewhere, we're beyond the dollhouse. <laughs> I guess, but then, like, I mean, to me, that was just, it's too in keeping, like, with his style. Like, over-the-top violence has always been kind of the thing. I don't know that I would describe it as camp, because it's it's not in, it's not a bad taste thing uh, of Tarantino movies in general. Yeah. Whether it's Kill Bill or Glory oh, Bastards so or Django like, Unchained. Like the yeah. vulgarity of the way that they were shot. Yeah, yeah. Words yeah, to, violence. Yeah, yeah. To say that, like, Brad Pitt's beating up of the uh, oh, no, hippie who slashed that, his when tire. He's just walking. Remember when he's just walking down, mm. down towards his car before mm. the fight starts and everyone's screaming at him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That part was campy. Is yeah. that what you're saying? Yeah, that, gotcha, that's gotcha. like, that felt like in the in the thralls of camp. Got it, got it. I think I, I would have expected more people to just call it boring rather than over the top. Like, I would say, like, I would have I would have guessed most people would say not enough happens. Um, like, it's too slow. It's yeah, too meandering. It's that, it's I don't know that they, that's usually a camp style. thing. Um, it's, it's okay. at, I, I will call it this. It's a collage of Americana. Yeah. If we can agree on collage that. or pastiche. I think that's yeah. definitely always... Yeah, been a, a, a trademark of his. I, I would agree with that. Well, I mean, like, just you could point at a certain time signature in this film and be like, okay, now that's Western. Now that's Kung Fu. Now that's behind the yeah. scenes. Now that's flashback. Now that's um, girl watching a movie, watching herself in the movie. Like, that's whatever that genre yeah. is. That's that, you, you know, like, the, it's. Yeah. Uh, wh- what is that? Gr- the girl watching herself. That's magical realism. Magical surrealism. I can't. remember. When he does what? Uh, when Margot's watching herself. That that like that has a magical oh. quality to it. I would describe it as magical for sure. Maybe not magical realism. To me, that's where it, like no, magic but, but is accepted you know as I mean. a rule. Like, that's, I think it's that's a wonderful a, moment. <laughs> that's a moment from a genre that is like the manic mm. pixie dream girl genre, the Amelie genre, the mm. in search of Fellini genre. Gotcha, gotcha, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I it, it is, like, yeah, uh, like, his most kind of American movie, in a way, like, I think of Pulp Fiction and its references to things like um, Godard, right? Um, I don't know that I could point to any, like, Euro influences here, or the, even, like, the... Italian influences, um, for sure. Maybe the spaghetti westerns for sure. Um, so actually, maybe I take that back. I mean, I think there is there's plenty of reference to the spaghetti western here. Um, but um, it it is yeah, uh, American in its focus for sure. And like the eccentric auteur. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Fucking dude wearing his sweater like a cape. I chose you because oh, you're yeah. an actor. They won't be able to see Rick Dalton. That's the point. They hired yeah. you for an actor. Yeah. To yeah. Be an actor. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, I, I love the. Dakota. It's Deckard too. 
the the scenes where he's with um Timothy Oliphant mm-hmm. um and and needing the lines and then breaking character getting back into character just wanting it so bad just wanting it so bad like I don't uh see it as anything more than just an actor wanting to get his part right mm-hmm. and just how satisfying that is to just watch um easily one of my favorite scenes of the movie um. I, I was actually more of a fan of the the interaction beforehand with the girl. The little girl. Where, oh, yeah, of course. Where they're sitting there reading their books. And oh, she's absolutely. And reading Walt Disney talking about how he's a genius. And he is a genius, but he's also kind of a piece of shit historically for some of his ideas, mm. um, if not actions. And the superimposition of that, like, I found the metaphor there of Roman Polanski, Walt Disney. Oh, yeah. Like, people responsible for great pieces of art that are separate from who they might be considered as <laughs> yeah 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 to me yeah that was a, a great scene i mean you can just take it for what it is it's just an interaction between two people um it's kind of you know it has a sadness in a way because of you know the child star thing of the studio system right where they were you know they were kind of the chattel of the studio they they kind of had to grow up too fast you know they they didn't give get to live the life of a normal kid and she's clearly wise beyond her years it kind of has its own sadness um but it also has its own glee it does oh, because she's worry, so good I throw myself on the floor all the time even when yeah. i'm not acting yeah um <laughs> Great line. yeah you know and he says just wait 15 years you know until you know you hit this part and you know what the what the 70s means for you know child stars you know who's whose lives have been based in the studio system right like she well, she will not the, be doing this ten years from now probably. Fifteen years, so that would be nineteen eighty four. Even further, yeah. Even well, like there's even and then there's a that much reference longer right? past the death of of the studio era, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. I mean, I first and foremost just took it as a scene between those two characters. Um, she's very good. I, I've heard I, some people say that that there's going to be an Oscar push for her for best supporting actress, which I think is awesome. Why not? Not enough screen time by any means, but I just, I love the thought of something, uh, of the Oscars being shaken up to actually, like, acknowledge truly small roles like that. Um, yes. That everybody, um, you know, uh, is, is talking about in some way or another. Yeah, what would that be? Minor role? Instead of yeah. instead of supporting actress, it would be, like, best performance in a minor role by actor and actress. Yeah, yeah. That, that would be a, a great category to add. Yeah. 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 When they always talk about shaking up the Oscars with like a host, I'm like, why not just like shake up the categories? Like just make it fun. Um, just get James Corden in there. And there you go. Give him all the money and call it done. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Jump to the ending. Did you like the ending? I fucking love the ending. Me too. It's great. It's amazing. Mm. They kill the bad guys, mm. just like in Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. <laughs> it's true. Can't disagree there. And, okay, so it doesn't feel absurd to you, that ending. Oh, it's absurd, for sure. But okay. I, not, Is that uh, not the word we were using earlier? What was the word we were using earlier that you brought up? Um, uh, I don't remember. Well, parody? Parody. And, that didn't um, feel like parody at all. Not in the same way, you know. Camp, I, I, I think of the so bad it's good, the bad taste kind of thing. It's it is violent, um, but it's never. Um, this is why camp is hard because it's yeah. hard to like. You kind of know it when you see delicious. it. Um, I maybe parody isn't the right word, but the, the one of the definitions of it is something, or one of the definitions for me is something like just absurd. Like, it's mm-hmm. just absurd what's happening, and we're all going to pretend that it's totally normal in the context mm. of this movie, and we're going to go along with it. Mm. And there's so many of those moments in this movie, and they all capitalize at the end. Um, yeah. But I, I have seen it twice now, so I, I kind of, I see the build up a little bit stronger, mm-hmm. and I have time on my side, because I'm, you know, 72 hours removed in your two weeks. <laughs> Very true. Uh, but yeah, I had a great time with the finale. <laughs> um, don't know that much m- more to say about it. Just love the line of JC bring asking Leo, is everybody okay? The fucking hippies aren't. 
probably like my single favorite line in the movie. That's that is my favorite. Like if I had to choose a favorite line of dialogue that had all my favorite moments, it would be fucking hippies because mm. there's so many mm. great moments of that being said. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, um, you were excited for Margaret Qualley to be in this picture. Oh, absolutely! What do you think of that performance? I thought she was fantastic. Very I liked good. her a lot. Yeah, very good. Yeah, um, good things ahead for her, no doubt. Just gotta pretend IO never happened. I did not like that movie. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> good answer. Please, that was please test. tell me what you're talking about. Oh wait, it's moving not, on. It doesn't exist. Didn't happen. Did you say AO Scott? <laughs> Yes, yes, that was him. <laughs> Excuse me. Who is Anthony Mackie? I don't know. <laughs> Weird. Um, Dakota Fanning, small role. Bruce Dern, small role. What do you think of those two? Great. What do you I, think uh, of uh, seeing Uma and Ethan's daughter? Uh, Uma and Ethan's daughter? I Uma don't Thurman think... Uma Thurman, Ethan Hawke's daughter. Who is was she? Was the girl that said, um, oh, I forgot my knife. Oh, God. Oh, nice, nice, nice. Um, great. I thought that was cool to see, to see Uma's daughter in a Tarantino movie. That I like means it. that their relationship has to be somewhere. They, it, they've, they've, uh, they've patched it up a little bit, yeah. perhaps. Um, I don't know if you're a Kevin Smith fan. Kevin Smith's daughter hmm. was one of the girls in uh, Spawn Ranch. Harley oh, okay. Smith. It's kind of cool oh. to see her. Last time we saw her was Yoga Hosers. Ah, uh, gotcha, gotcha. Johnny Depp, Kevin Smith. Yep. Nice. Yeah, uh, I like the time at Spawn Ranch. Um, and a big shaggy dog little episode. Um, there's a uh, a good review on Seattle screen scene right now by Sean Gilman. How he's talking about how for him the best ones, the best Tarantino best Tarantino movies are ones comprised of short stories or like Pulp Fiction. Um, this being one of them, and that kind of feels like some little short story in itself right there's one about sharon going to the movies there's one about rick at the studio um that's a good point mm. it is very much composed as a short story where the it's it's an itemized longer narrative but but in its moments it they stand alone 100 like you could show me cliff getting home while that picture is playing i can't remember the picture now but when i just mm. saw it, i was like that is a fucking foreshadow yeah for fucking fuck's sake holy shit i can't yeah. believe i didn't see that the first time it's a Good great stuff. foreshadow scene but like him driving home in his car getting in the rv making dinner for uh brandy Mm-hmm. And okay, so here's here's part of the camp and the absurdism mm. that I think is lining this film. Mm. Her name is Brandy. That is the mm. same pit bull that we see in Stuber. That pit bull, mm. if you look at the pit bull at all during half the shots where she's turned around, she's a he. And it's really? very obvious. <laughs> and I, I think that that's, that's part of like that TV, like absurdism, 1950s tone where it's like, we're just going to pretend like we're going to call these things what mm. we're going to call them. We're going to suspend our disbelief and we're going to go mm. with it. And I think I that there's that. tons of, of moments like that. I'll go with it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love this movie. Me it's, too. It's in my top ten now. It's near the bottom, but I don't think that it'll leave my top ten. I like it. Um, where's it at for you? Very high up. My list hadn't been shaken up in a while, but it's top five for sure. Top five? Yeah. Do you think it's staying in the top five, or you think it's staying in the uh, top ten? Do you think it could leave? I think it's going to stick. I think it's going to stick. Permanent? I think so. Okay. We'll revisit that after Time Ad Astra tell. takes up one through nope. four. <laughs> See what happens. Run! Go! Get to the chopper! We have to go. I'm coming with you. That was brilliant. You're the best and we love you! And that is another one in the can, folks.